This is the Abraham's Wallet podcast. Abraham's Wallet spans the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. This episode of the Abraham's Wallet podcast is sponsored by Outpost Advisors. Outpost Advisors is a financial planning firm that was set up around the very same principles that underpin everything we talk about here at Abraham's Wallet. Families that work with Outpost Advisors walk through a guided process to understand their unique purpose, craft a family vision, and then put their resources to work in service of that vision. They're a fee-only advisor, which means they don't sell any insurance or investments, and they're fiduciaries, meaning that they're legally obligated to act in the best interest of their clients. If your family could use some guidance when it comes to finances and family vision, then reach out to Outpost Advisors by visiting them at outpostadvisors.net. Hello, you Abrahamic lovers. This is Stephen Manuel, and I'm going to talk to you today a little bit about Sabbath. Now, it's funny how guys, whether it's guys I mentor or where it's just people who are looking into my family or other families I know that um, we would consider to be successful families, people quickly dial in on Sabbath rhythms. It's been a subject of, of a conversation even just in the last few days around my house, and we, we had a couple over, um, this is Monday, so we had a couple over on Friday night that just wanted to see how we do it and why we do it, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So here at Abraham's Wallet, we believe that the same stuff is required to build generational wealth as it is a godly home. That's like diligence, faithfulness, obedience, some boldness or courage, some strategy, encouragement, all of it, hopefully in increasing doses as we go. What we get a lot around here is creating a culture in your home, one that would support and undergird those traits. So for instance, in your home, is there a culture of obedience? When a child disobeys, now you'll know if you have a culture of disobedience, that if a child disobeys, does everybody else's eyes get wide and go, oh, Charlie, what have you done? Is the cultural expectation of your home that every child will unerringly obey all adults? Um, if, if, if a stranger walks in and tells a child to do something and the child doesn't immediately do it, what's the reaction? And I mean both among the parents and among the kids. Question number two, is there a culture of worship and prayer in your home? Does it feel like a huge event when mom or dad gathers everybody together for a prayer or a song of worship is ordered up or does it feel normal and everybody just jumps in because of muscle memory? It's just part of the culture, so we just do it. Question three, is there a culture of giving in your home? Is everybody normally looking for great places to give money, or does the very idea of giving money away lead to hand-wringing and second-guessing and thinking, I'm not sure if we have enough for that, and I don't know, do the people that we're talking about really deserve to have money given to them? 
Question four. Is there a culture of following vision in your home? Does everyone feel constrained by the common vision, values, and vocabulary that you and the missus have outlined? Or does everybody do just do what's right in their own eyes? Does everybody know specifically what your family is about to the exclusion of other good things? Those are all kind of culture questions. So you get the idea. I'm talking about creating culture in your home. And culture creation in the home is your job. And it could be argued that culture creation is the ultimate job of the church. I mean, otherwise, what are you asking for when you say, God, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? What do you, what do you think God's going to do that with? How do you think he's going to create his culture on earth if it's not through his people? So culture creation really matters. And you and I could be asking on a daily basis, what are the simplest tools that will create maximum cultural impact in my home? I hope you are asking that question. What are the simplest tools that will create maximum cultural impact in my home? Indeed, you already do this. You say, I love you at the end of phone conversations or before someone leaves town. You pray together before meals. You have bedtime rituals for connection, I hope, with your kids. You do value tools that create culture, even if you haven't thought of it like this. So, for instance, my family just got back from a summer trip. So we we, we now take a trip every year. It just happens to be in the summer the last couple of years, but we have a, we take a trip every year that's specifically for spiritual growth. It's for building our family's spiritual life. And that creates culture because we, as you might imagine, no matter what you want the talk to be about, those just words like prayer and worship and loving God and the Bible, and those things are talked about regularly in our home. So that creates a culture. <clears throat> well, I'm here to tell you that nothing, not a daily prayer time, not memorizing Bible verses before bed, not even, get ready for it, fire up the grill for this sacred cow, not even going to church will do for your family from a culture creation standpoint what this one thing will do. Here it is. Honor the Sabbath day. And keep it holy. Putting one day a week aside, designating it as holy, that means set apart only for God. It's, an, it's a day unlike any other day. It's a special day. And leading your family into full bore, unapologetic, all in, ever loving, compound rest is the best thing you can do to create a culture of obedience and peace and interaction and godliness. By the way, this I'm not here to talk about this subject, but you're not good at rest. I can just tell you, most people are not good at rest. We, we've seen the West, Western culture stats are in. We are not good at rest, and without it, you're sunk. Um, so, how can we get back to that? Well, I'm going to read from Hebrews 4. Ready? This is an amplified version. In a certain place, he is said about the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And they forfeited their part in it, because in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Seeing then that the promise remains over from past times for some to enter that rest, and that those who formerly were given the good news about it and the opportunity, they failed to appropriate it, and they did not enter 
because of disobedience. Again, he sets a definite day, a new today, and he gives another opportunity of securing that rest, saying through David, after so long a time in, in, the, in the words already quoted, Today, if you would hear his voice, and when you hear it, do not harden your hearts. So then there is still awaiting a full and complete Sabbath rest reserved for the true people of God. For he who has once entered God's rest also has ceased from the weariness and pain of human labors, just as God rested from those labors, particularly his own. Let us therefore be zealous and exert ourselves and strive diligently to enter that rest of God, to know and experience it for ourselves, so that no one may fall or perish by the same kind of unbelief and disobedience into which those in the wilderness fell. I'm going to read that last verse again because it's so strong. Let us therefore be zealous and exert ourselves and strive diligently to enter that rest of God, to know and experience it for ourselves, so that no one may fall or perish by the same kind of unbelief and disobedience into which those in the wilderness fell. Did you catch that passage? That's a pretty heavy passage. Let me just pull out some observations from it. Number one, the promise, and by extension, the negative consequences, the threats, that it still remains. The promise and the threats still remain. Remember, this is the book of Hebrews we're talking about. This is late in the scriptural game. This isn't the books of Moses. This is post-resurrection, post-church formation, post-covenant of grace, and yet this day of rest still remains, says the writer. Secondly, there's a next point. There's a word for those who fail to enter this rest, and that word isn't, it's not busy. It's not their high output people, or even that they're a performer, or they're driven, and it's certainly not the word leader. The word for those who fail to enter the Sabbath rest of God is disobedient. So if you'll allow me to tighten the screws just a little bit, failure to honor the Sabbath rest of God is sin. It's not oversight. It's sin. It's disobedience. And it's later even called unbelief, which is really strong. Unbelief. You don't believe God if you're not obeying the Sabbath. This is what Hebrews 4 insinuates. So the options presented are, one, honor the Sabbath, or two, harden your heart. In this passage, those are the options. You either honor the Sabbath or you harden your heart. Ouch. That's pretty specific. Next point, the Sabbath is a way that the true people of God show themselves. So there is a match between true people of God and Sabbath observance. They go together. That's pretty convicting stuff, and it also um, would pretty quickly narrow down the people at your local church house that would be referred to as the true people of God. I'm, now listen, I'm, I, I'm not casting stones here before I go on. I, I have not observed the Sabbath for most of my Christian life. I never took these passages seriously. I never saw anybody do it, and so I'm not here to castigate you or prop myself up. I'm just, we're just talking about what this passage says, okay? There's a match between true people of God and Sabbath observance, according to Hebrews 4. 
hey, here's something good. Here, you want, Would you like a positive? There's a bunch of negatives here. If you enter into God's Sabbath rest, you stop from the grinding, never-ending hamster wheel of human labor. Hey, that's great. I would like, I would like to stop the hamster wheel of human labor. Next, entering, t- entering into this rest requires, ironically, effort. It requires effort to enter into this rest. That is zeal, exertion, and even striving. So strive to stop striving. Work at protecting this day and this time. Work at it. Strive. That makes almost no sense on the face of it, I know, because we just think whatever, whatever rest is means laziness and not working. But that's what this says. Make every effort to enter into his rest. Last two points. Number one, you might can hear his voice today and turn things around. It's never too late. So start obeying pronto. You could even make a decision to start right now and say, I'm going to start observing the Sabbath this week. Last point, just observing this Hebrews 4 passage, there's a little history button at the end of this passage. The same kind of disobedience and unbelief we're talking about is what killed the Israelites in the desert. Same brand of disobedience. You act like the Sabbath is like any other kind of day, and it's a day to watch football and get a little extra work done and mow your yard and pay some bills. And that's the same kind of disobedience that killed a generation of Israelites in the wilderness. Okay, so can we just say at least this topic is very important to God and to his followers? Okay, that's, a, that's the little Bible study we're doing right now. All right. What, what I want to do is make this point. In the list of the Ten Commandments, oh, whoops, back up. Now, look, I'm not going to pile on you any more than this heavy passage already did. I'm just going to go with observing the Sabbath is very important, biblically. Is that okay, is it okay for now? I'm not even going to make reference to the passage that says you could be killed for not observing the Sabbath. I'm not going there. See, I'm, Lee, I'm keeping this light and happy. We want to give you practical instructions. I just wanted to open up with this pretty heavy passage. So what I will do is make this point. In the list of the Ten Commandments, the keeping of the Sabbath is the commandment that has the most description and explanation attached to it. Thou shalt kill gets these gets those four words, enomas, thou shalt not kill. That's all it says, and then it moves on. Even having no idols gets only eight words. But the Sabbath command merits a whopping 94 words spanning four verses unto itself. So that's pretty, that's pretty striking that even in the Ten Commandments, um, I mean, again, think of it, four words for thou shalt not kill, 94 words for how to obey the Sabbath. So I'm, I'm just going to give you like um, 10 simple ways to make Sabbath happen in your home, and then we'll be done for today, okay? So the Bible tells you how to do it, and we'll just start our list there from what the Bible says, and I'll give you some learnings that we've come up with over the years. Number one, don't work. That's an easy one, right? Maybe not. It might be. It might be that your phone and all of your electronic gadgetry is programming you to always be on, and there might be an expectation from your workplace that you're always available for work. No. (laughs) May it never be. Don't work on the Sabbath. That not only means don't do your your paying job on the Sabbath, so no regular work on the Sabbath. It means don't mar God's Sabbath with housework and yard mowing. Don't work. Don't do 
work on the Sabbath. Number two, it's God's day. So remember him. Again, holy means set apart for God alone. That Now that doesn't mean, I don't think it means Bible study all day. And it definitely doesn't mean church all day. It means this isn't just some idea we came up with. It's God's idea and it's his idea. And we honor him by setting this day aside. I do think it means make time during this day to talk with him, preferably as a family. It doesn't say that, but i that's how I read the scriptures. And we've learned a lot from a lot of bunch of older, wiser people who've gone before us and said, yeah, that's definitely part of Sabbath is meeting with God as a family. Number three, minimize buying. Um, In Exodus 20.10, God specifies that none of your servants is to work on the Sabbath. But you don't have servants, right? Right? Are you sure? When you go to the grocery store, who's the cashier working for? And when you go get a haircut, who's the barber working for? You. Orthodox Jews teach that money isn't to be handled or even discussed on the Sabbath, so no transactions are to be made. Maybe this is just impossible for you, but I would just say, please keep it down. Sabbath isn't a time for a trip to the mall or a time to stock up on cleaning supplies. Just minimize buying. It's not supposed to be a time for commercial life. It's supposed to be a time to be quiet and get low and calm down. Number four, get kids into the habit of rest. Verse 10 of that Hebrews 4 passage also calls out your children. One thing we do at my house, I'm sorry, not the the Hebrews 4 passage, Exodus 20.10 also calls out your children. One thing we do at my house is on the night that Sabbath starts, and biblically, days start and end at sundown, not sunup. So, Again, I wouldn't make this a huge deal, but it is the way that it is. Scripturally, you'll see, for instance, when God made the world, it was, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. So, scripturally, a day starts when the sun goes down. I know that's kind of a mind bender for a lot of us, but but that's how Jews observe Sabbath, and that's how we observe Sabbath. When the sun goes down, that's when it starts. So, we start Sabbath and we ring it in with a dinner to celebrate its arrival. So families do various things with this meal. But one thing we often do in my home is we go around the table and we'll just ask, what's something that you haven't finished that you're working on? And this gets kids into the mindset that things have to stop on the Sabbath. They could be restarted at sun at sundown the next day, but but they stop. We also don't allow anybody to make beds or to do dishes on the Sabbath which which in my house, those things are required on non-Sabbath days. So they feel this emergency break. Er, things are stopping. Now, just for practical help, here's some other ways that I've seen that will help Sabbath happen for you and yours. We want the Sabbath to be experiential for the kids also. So here's what we do. And this is my fifth tip, is the lighting of a candle to officially begin the Sabbath is a regular tradition in Jewish homes. We have a little video up on on, uh, abrahamswallet.com. 
if you want to see a, a video that supports that idea. But you don't have to do it this way. This is an extra biblical tradition. We do this in my home. And when the candle is lit, everyone sighs a big, dramatic sigh of relief when it gets lit. And we go like this. Okay, mom's about to light the candle. And everybody think about all the stuff you got to do, all the stuff you've done, and what everybody expects of you. And oh, it's uh, now we light the candle. And everybody, when it, when it gets lit, everybody goes, Ah, we all do that together and we all slump back in our chairs and we get to say our work is done for the week. Whatever we got done is done. and Whatever we didn't get finished, didn't get finished. So let the resting begin. So we all have this great little moment. It's actually, I don't know, it's some, for some reason it's kind of powerful. I don't know why, but it is. Number six, put tech away. Having trouble setting, if you're having trouble setting boundaries for the tech in your home, start by making your Sabbath gizmo free. It'll be a challenge to you at first, and then you'll grow to love it. You will. No phones, no TV, no computers, no email. It's a dream. I hereby authorize you to unplug your internet router when that candle gets lit. Number seven. This idea might not stun you, but the singing of a song is standard practice for every family I know that has in, that institutes Sabbath observation. And yes, singing along with videos is totally fine. Um, there, we have a video up online that you can link to at abrahamswallet.com. Look at our Sabbath overview, and it's a video of my family doing a simple song that we learned back in the day called Shabbat Shalom, which is the peace of the Sabbath. Um, it's a fun little song. My kids love it. It doesn't feel like a, a USA pop song. It feels like a it feels like a Jewish traditional song. It's called Shabbat Shalom. It's not in English. Some of it is, but anyways, the name of it isn't. So we we sing a song. Number eight: Make the meal special. The Sabbath is supposed to be the highlight of the week, so we eat at the fancy dining table. I don't know if you ever had that. I grew up in the in a house where there was like a little bref, breakfast nook, and then there was a formal dining room. We kind of have that in my house, where we'll eat at the bar at the at the in the kitchen often, but not on the Sabbath. We eat at the fancy dining table. We get out the nice dishes, and we have the best meal of the week. Um, if that sounds like huge bummer to you, like oh, we have to plan a nice meal and all that, then punt it. Don't do that. We, we I have a friend right down the street. And they celebrate Sabbath by ordering the same pizza every single week. They eat it on the back deck, rain or shine, and that's how they ring in Sabbath because that's what brings the mom peace to go, I am not cooking a nice meal. Great, do that. If that helps you, do that. Just make the meal special. Number nine, honor one another. We like to manage the conversation around the table. So one thing we ask during Shabbat is, What's something your sibling or your spouse did this week that was terrific? And it's just a great way to honor one another and affirm each other. And we also take the opportunity at that meal um, for dad to bless every person in the family. I know some families that do that better than we do, but it doesn't, it doesn't take long. It's just part of the meal. And I can tell you for sure, every member of my family looks forward to getting a blessing. Um, Number 10, my last point, start the day real slow when you wake up the next day. When you when we wake up on Saturday, I see how long I can stay in the bed on the morning of Sabbath. I'm not kidding. I, I try to see how long can I stay in the bed till I have to get up. So 
Um, I will read to my kids and talk to them and play with them and just cuddle and hold and tickle them. Um, we'll play board games or or whatever in the bed. I, I read in the bed. I'll say, you know, y- y'all can go busy yourselves somewhere. I just find that not leaving my room is a solid way to ensure that we're not going to fall. That we're 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 not going to fall back into our normal routines. That's that is not going to happen. And as a bonus, um, I'll just tell you to get outside sometime during the day and go for a walk or a bike ride with your family. You will re- you will connect with your family and you'll be recreated in the process. Just being outside. We we did that this past week. We went and took a. Uh, we just went to a local park. We walked through trails for about an hour and a half, took the dog with us, and it was just terrific just to walk and talk. Um, so those are those are some introductory thoughts to Sabbath, um, how we do it in my home, how you can take some steps toward it. Um, and some some of what the scripture says about Sabbath. I'll just say for for myself that I think we've probably I've been married 17 years. We've probably observed the Sabbath in a formal, hard and fast way for maybe seven years. Um, so I just want to say again, any any efforts you make toward this are winners. So if you say that okay, I'm just going to try to rest a lot on one day, not work, and try to make it tech free. Great, that's a win. Just start moving that direction. I predict you will get um, so addicted to your Sabbath that you'll just want to dial it up, and it'll be so life giving to you that, like my friend Adam, for instance, he puts a lot of energy towards having a a family. Uh, Bible lesson kind of time because he's found it to be so fruitful. He's got he's got uh, preteen boys, and he wants it to be engaging for them. He knows he's building worldview as and biblical literacy for them. Um, so he puts a lot of he puts more attention towards that with the teaching he's going to do on the Sabbath than anybody I know. But there's various degrees of formality around. I mean, my our, my friend Justin, the whole family dresses up. He wears a tie um, when they do the Sabbath meal, and it's very formal. And they stand behind their chairs. Everyone they do they do some prayers. They do some Bible readings. Then they sit down at some point. Then the candles get lit. I mean, it's very formal. And your family's just allowed to work out whatever process you want. But I'm trying to give you some tips to get started. And um, hey, as you guys take steps towards the Sabbath, bless you. It's going to pay off big time for your family in creating, once again, a culture, a culture that honors God and keeps you guys moving towards the vision that God's given you for your family. So for Abraham's Wallet, I'm Steve Manuel. Have a great day.